All right, Kyle, you there with me? Uh, yep, yeah, I'm uh, here. Excellent. So I got Kyle Cotter here. Can, tell me about yourself. Uh, you know, how old are you? What's going on? What are you doing over there? Uh, I'm 18. I am based out of Silver Spring, Maryland, which is about a half hour from the D.C. area. Uh, I'm currently running my own business, Cotter Interactive. I do uh, web design and development, primarily integrating um, content management systems, expression engine, craft, etc. Uh, so I graduated high school. Uh, it'll be it's been a year now. Um, didn't do the college route, which uh, through our brief interactions, I know you were slightly against that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've been running my own business, and it's it's been really really fun. So when did you start? That is a loaded question. Uh, I started in I started uh, doing web related things in seventh grade. Uh, our middle school offered a few web classes that I took, and they were you know table based markup, all outdated stuff. Uh, so by the time I got to high school. Uh, my teacher there, uh, Zach Gordon, who does expression engine stuff too, uh, he had his own business at the time, so he was he was more up to date than what the curriculum was teaching. So he was teaching us the proper way to use CSS and HTML. So that there was the jumpstart I got into where I am today. Um, I did a lot of stuff outside of the classroom, which is uh, why I was able to keep pursuing it and learning other things. But uh, he was the the reason that I was able to uh, learn the the proper way to do things. So uh, I did web thing web related things all through high school, and it was my junior year that I had uh, a client. And up until that point, uh, just a little background: Connor Interactive has always been a secondary part in my life. It has always come second to something else. Uh, for instance, school was obviously the primary thing, finishing that at the time. Yeah. Um, so when this client came in, they wrote me a check and and it had Cotter Interactive as, as the name on the check. And it's like, <laughs> I, remember, uh, I, I don't this. really have anything set up. It's I just have a bank account in my name. How's, how's this going to work? Yeah, I remember so uh, it was from that point that I got a, a business checking account set up. Uh, so, you know, it's a sole proprietorship and and we're all set to go. So from that point is where I guess I'd classify Cotter Interactive started. And when was that uh, again? You were still in school? Yeah, I was okay. it was I was a junior in high school. Right. Uh, so Cotter Interactive officially had a bank account, which I guess was the important part. Um, right. but as I said, Cotter Interactive always came sort of second. Um, I was in school back then and then when I graduated I was still working at Ellis Lab, so Cotter Interactive was still secondary. So I guess I'd consider Cotter Interactive as as my sole source of income, my my sole project that I want to grow into something would be uh, this past September is where that really took off. Okay. What did you do at Ellis Lab? Uh, I started off as the Ellis Lab intern. Uh, so I was working a lot with Lisa West, um, love her to death. She We would do a bunch of... And internal projects, and they had me working support and forums. How'd you get that and, gig? How, how'd you get in? How'd you get in the door? Uh, that's a wonderful question. I received a DM from Leslie Camacho on Twitter asking if I'd be interested doing an internship at Ellis Lab. And what were you tweeting? What were you tweeting about them that prompted him to reach out to you? 
I honestly have no idea. I was in the... I obviously use the, the EECMS hashtag a lot. Uh, engaging in the... Com- the reason I, I really liked Expression Engine was, of course, the community. And and so I, 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 I'm sure I tweeted out a bunch of stuff with the hashtag, um, like, how do you do this, or here, look what I did. And and I was really taken by surprise when he did that. Um, and, you know, I was, I was really excited to... I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that. But uh, it, it was, you know, working in the forums, engaging with the community... And and that was something that I enjoyed doing. All right, so I interrupted you. You were telling me what you were doing at Ellis Lab. You did an internship, and then what what happened? Uh, yeah, so I was the Ellis Lab intern, um, and it was EECI Brooklyn, and I got to meet uh, the whole team up there. And after that point, they offered me a part-time job, and I accepted that, so I was officially on the support team. Um, and this was back when the forums were the official way to, to get support. So I was in the forums a lot, um, and and then that kind of transitioned into me doing some videos for LS Lab um, and, and other means of, of support. So uh, that's that was my stint at LS Lab. Why'd you leave? I was I, I, I enjoyed doing what I was doing, but I enjoyed making things. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed designing and front-end development, and in that environment, that wasn't something I could do, obviously. Um, plus, I, I figured if I go out on my own uh, or take what I had already had, which was Cotter Interactive, kind of this dormant little little company that I had been working with, and, and make that my sole purpose and, and grow that out, uh, then I can obviously do a lot better than I was currently doing. So how... Um you threw yourself into Cotter Interactive in September, right? Yes. And um, what happens if it doesn't work? Like, let me, yeah, let, me, I, let me frame the question a little bit better. I don't want to set you up for uh, such a vague question. <laughs> um, when I started Soul Space, I was working other jobs the way you're describing. And right. eventually, um, there were enough clients to the tune of maybe two or three or four to make me think, or maybe there's something here. Maybe I could actually make a living being a web developer, web designer. Um, so I eventually jumped into it. There was no backup for me. Um, there was just a little bit of savings. I mean, it had to work. Um, what about you? How high risk was your choice to go full blast into Cotter Interactive? So considering my circumstances, um, I was just out of high school. My parents weren't kicking me out yet. So, the risk of if I were to fail, the the result wouldn't be I'd be living on the streets with nowhere to go. Um, and I I did have some reserve in doing it full throttle, which is why I I held off on on doing anything like getting it LLC or or S corp or anything, which is I'm holding off on that till uh, I want to get that done by January this year. Um, so I was. I wanted to just, you know, test it out and see if, if I thought it would be something I could sustain myself as my sole income. Yeah. Um, How's it which, working? What's that? How is that working? Which, at this point, it's it's something uh, I can say that it has been able to provide for me for what I need, uh, which is a good thing. The There were times when um, I had months that were better than others, obviously. So when, when I started this back in September... Uh, I would jump at anything that offered me money. Yeah. 
which looking back was probably the stupidest thing I could have done. Um, okay, so let's see. It's it's June now, so it took you from September to June to realize that you shouldn't run your business that way. Uh, no, it took me. I figured that out back in January. Okay, so it took me about seven years to figure that out. <laughs> and I don't know how many people out there listening to this can agree that it takes usually takes a really long time to figure out that you shouldn't just take anything that comes in the door. You should be selective. So, congratulations, you got. Uh, lesson number one. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, well, in, so, well in advance of what anybody else, you know, knows at that that stage. Right. So it was at that time I was like, you know what? I have all these small things coming in, but the return on them isn't isn't going to be profitable for me long term. It's I'm, I'm killing myself here doing all these these small things. Yeah. So I think it was it was that January where I was like, you know what? Let's let's shift on to focusing on on long term things, looking down the road and. And sure, you can have a, a month or two here where you're you're not making as a, a ton of money, but look at the long term and and realize, okay, this is this is for the good of my future. So it was it was that point where I focused on. I think I found my my niche. It was like the the seven to fifteen thousand dollar project range. Uh, they were they were decent sized projects, but they weren't too over my head where I'd, I'd get where, where I'd get drowned drowned out and and. All this big stuff. I, it was small enough where I could do it and make a nice profit on it. So that's kind of where I've been focusing on. Does anybody work for you? Um, so that leads me into to another point I, I want to talk about. Uh, currently, I have no employees, but I do have a list of subcontractors who I would go to in a heartbeat if I need anything done. Yeah. And and going back to that point of me being sort of reserved and jumping into this a hundred percent. Uh, from the get-go, I, I didn't want. The ultimate goal is for me to eventually, you know, hire people for me, have have them work with me uh, on a full-term basis. But for now, having that short-term list of subcontractors that I can go to if I need people, that's that's kind of where I'm comfortable with right now. Yeah. And and I think networking and knowing people is is crucial in starting your own business because. That's where you find these people that you can go to if you're in a bind. Say you need a, a developer who, who's way smarter than you um, to help you out on this on this project, on this complex part of it. Then you know those people. You can go to them. You pay them for their time, and you still get to go back to the client with an amazing final product. So I, I think knowing people and, and networking with them is, is huge. You never called me. Way to put me on the spot there. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> um, it's it's actually a really good relationship to have, um, where, and that's this one really good thing about this community is that we um, are all operating within a, uh, the same sort of a knowledge base, and some people have different levels of expertise in specific areas than others. Um, for example, you know Greg Farrell on my team. Well, I, you know I'm I'm doing some JavaScript stuff with a new uh, new framework, and I just. <laughs> Just could not grok it. It just was not making any sense. I was stuck on a thing. It was easy for him. It took him 30 minutes. So you start networking with people, um, and you can really chip away at some of the, the learning curve that you have if you do it right. Um, so you know, that's, that's a really beneficial thing. I think the most interesting thing to talk about, though, is how you think about networking when it comes to developing uh, new clients. 
Um, is networking a part of how you acquire clients or is it some other thing that you think is the, the principal way that you bring in new business? So a lot of the, the business I'm doing now, it's it's kind of broken down into the three separate parts, I'd say. One is the business that's solely through Cotter Interactive. They, they found me, um, surprisingly, my website, I've gotten a lot of like just cold clients from them visiting my website and saying, hey, you look like you know what you're doing, um, which was kind of shocking. I didn't think that actually well, how worked. How are they finding your website? Is it like a Google advertising or what? No, I, I don't. I, I have no Google AdWords set up or anything like that. They just, I guess, they're looking for someone because I'm close to the DC area, um, and and I, I I honestly have no clue how how they found me. But I, I and I asked them, you know, you, you guys seriously just found my site on the internet and, and decided to give me a call. And they're like, yep. So uh, believe it or not, your 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 company websites actually do sometimes uh, attract clients. Which wow. for me, that was. That was interesting because I've never actually heard it work that way. So you think there's a local component. You think that somehow people know you're uh, a D.C. area person and and fill in the blanks. I mean, how how is that connected to your site getting you business? Uh, yeah, I think a couple of the clients have been within the same area as I am. So I think that's definitely helped. They've, they've gone searching through... Um, you know, probably local meetup pages or or whatnot. That so going back to the networking, like you said, belonging to different meetup groups, uh, making your location known on like directory or or dribble or whatnot to give people this sort of uh, give. You have to give people a way to find you for them to find you. Um, now, in terms of me directly going up to to potential new clients and and trying to get business networking that way, not so much. But the informal methods of you know your Twitter location, um, dribble, etc. I think that definitely helps in in attracting new business. Um, so, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you was uh, on on this point, exactly this point, the one of um, how does how does someone like you, the age difference between you and I is more than twenty years. So um, are you saying you're old? I am old. Whatever. Okay. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> so there's there's a big age difference, and there's uh, there's several generation gaps, especially internet generation gaps. Um, your facility with adopting Twitter and other social media and just making that just you know like one of your other fingers is really different. How your generation feels about it and adopts it and, um, and incorporates it into their lives. For me. I was dragged kicking and screaming into Twitter and to whatever limited extent I do any Facebook, uh, the list goes on. I fight it. Um, so let me frame the question differently. Um, my company took off because I adopted Expression Engine. I was a first mover and I made it clear that we had expertise in Expression Engine. We had software add-ons that could prove we were experts and we had client sites that could demonstrate the work. So it took off because of that connection. And it took off because in the beginning there were hardly anybody out there connected to Ellis Lab who could um, receive re referrals for work uh, when someone came directly to the company and said, hey, we want to build on your platform, tell me a developer who we can use. So I don't know how to start a business any other way than that. I don't know how to start a business um, platform agnostic. Um, I've only done it one way. I've only done one company. So you teach me how to 
uh, start a company. It, and why it's important is because I, I want to branch off from Expression Engine. I want to move Soul Space out of being an exclusive Expression Engine shop and do some other stuff. In order to do that, I have to start over in some ways. So teach me, in this day and age, what do I do? Uh, I, I, I don't think... Because when I first started, uh, Expression Engine was kind of my, my sole CMS that I relied on. Uh, so I definitely can understand your, your mentality on, on sticking with this, this one one niche and, and branching out from that. But I think I, I definitely think networking is key. Oh, 90% of the work I have now is because I know other people. Um, and because I'm a loudmouth on Twitter and these social media sites that people are like, oh, hey, that's that's Kyle Cotter. Yeah, I, I've heard I've heard about him and, and heard what he does and, and stuff like that. Uh, for me personally, I, I use social media 99% for work. Um, and it's mainly about taking the connections and and making new connections from those connections because uh, this community is, it's well, I consider it relatively small. Uh, other people who you know know other people and, and so forth. And specifically, I've been kind of in the expression engine community, which for the for the longest time, and I've been recently branching on, uh, reaching on, uh, trying to extend that more into the design and and other communities. So I've been spending a lot more time on on Dribble and going through other people's work on Dribble and trying to find other designers uh, local to me. Uh, there's a, a Dribble meetup in, in DC coming up, so I signed up to go to that. Uh, I think just putting yourself out there to other like-minded people um, and then forming those connections, good things will happen. Is that addressing what you want? Yeah, it's not enough. No. Okay. It helps. It <laughs> helps, but you're, you're basically just saying... One of, my, one of my good friends has a saying. She says, go to the party. And what she means is, you know that day, that Friday afternoon, when you're tired from the end of the week and uh, your friends are having a party and it's mostly strangers that you don't know, but two people you do know, you don't want to go. You're tired. You just want to sit around and watch TV. She says, go to the party show up. And you're saying just show up, be involved, uh, be present. And and that's great and helpful, but I mean, tell me more. Why, why don't people complain to me that Kyle Cotter is just a networker? He's just he's just out there to network and know this person and know that person and throw names around. Why don't people complain about that? How is it that you're doing it in a way that is not offensive, that doesn't get under people's skin, that just feels normal and right and good? Uh, I guess because I'm not just networking, I actually have stuff to show what I'm capable of doing with the people I, I'm working with. Uh, so being able to show what you've done with these connections you made, showing profitable results to people, I, I definitely think that's that's a big thing. And how does the social media play into this? I mean, uh, I know how to do this with someone I would meet at a party. I said, well, you know, Tomorrow night, uh, when all this is done, go to my website, check it out, and look at so-and-so job that we did. This will be useful for, for a comparison for you. How do you do that on social media? Uh, I think Matt Weinberg nailed it down. Uh, type launch in capital letters and then the URL of the site you just launched. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I definitely think sharing, uh, sharing your work on, on these social media sites and getting exposure... Um, because, for example, on Dribble, I'll post shots of what I'm working on in Dribble, and, and people who I've never heard of uh, or never met before will, 
you know, just browse the the latest postings on Dribble and and like and offer feedback and stuff like that, and and so soliciting other people's feedback on things uh, because everybody always has something to say about something. Uh, I think that's a good way to to introduce yourself and, and get to know people and hear their thoughts on process and processes uh, on different things. Um. So you do a lot of conference stuff. I mean, you show up to a lot of conferences. I see from your site that you've actually uh, organized uh, a few conferences. How do those play in? Uh, again, I'm, I'm a huge, huge proponent of community and, and building these relationships. We actually did a, a conference at my high school uh, that I was uh, helping organize to just promote the industry to students. Uh, again, the, the curriculum in schools is pretty outdated and and they're not teaching kids the the latest and best things. So having a conference where we get David DeSandro uh, and, and other intelligently awesome people to come share to the students, here's the crazy things you can do on the Internet, uh, build that hype there. And I, again, because connecting people, connecting with people and showing them all the cool things you can do as a community that that helps build other people up to want to go out and make amazing things as well. How important is location for you? You mentioned it a minute ago, and it came up in the very first of these podcasts I did with Weinberg, um, and it's it came up with uh, Brad Parscales. Uh, it's come up a few times. How does? Tell me more about location. Uh, yeah, funny you mentioned that. I actually went to a a talk on it was last Thursday on on running distributed companies. Um, Brian Williams from Viget and Carl Smith of Engineworks, they were there uh, along with a couple other people talking about how they handle running a distributed company. Um, for me, location is has never been something uh, of an issue for me. Um, when I was at Ellis Lab, that was completely remote. Half my team was on the other side of the country. Uh, so in terms of working with clients and working with other people who are not in the location I am, that that's never bothered me and it's never seemed to bother the people I've worked with or the clients I've worked with. Um, there is a co-working space down in DC. Uh, the, the guys who used to run include run that co-working space and, and I'll go down there, uh, every once in a while to, you know, get out of the house. Uh, but down there is a, it's a great place to, to network with, with real people. Um, because, you know, we sit behind a screen all day, so it's nice to get out and, and, and mingle with real people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in terms of location, it's never been something that I've considered an issue I need to to address. So it hasn't been a, a problem. You, you're saying that you don't really have clients who are, um, are... Do you feel like you have any clients that walk away if they find out you're not located in their area? I've yet to experience that. Um, but the clients who I have had who have been relatively close to me have pointed that out. Oh, hey, you're only you know 20 minutes away from me. That's that's cool. But I I don't think it's affected the ability for me to land work. Has it had any effect on your ability to manage that client over time? Uh, again, I come from this background where I've only known working in my house yeah. at a computer. So working, which I'm fortunate because that experience at Ellis Lab and some of the other stuff I'm doing now with with other companies, they're all remote. And having that primer, having never really had to be forced to go to an office every day, it's been, it's made it easy to work with people who aren't directly next to me. 
I've um, I found over the years that when when you get into a conflict with a client, um, when you when when the project goes south and things get really difficult and the client is really upset and it's difficult to get them get everything back into friendly terms, that's when the problem of location really shows up for me. Um, when I've been close to a client and something goes wrong and I can go and see them face to face, I can get things glued back together really quickly. When they're across the country or across several different time zones, um, it's often the case that I just stop hearing from the client at some point. Stop getting checks, stop getting responses, everything falls apart. Um, have you had any experience like that? Um, you know, with, with projects going bad and getting them glued back together? And if you could speak about the location piece, that's even better. Uh, fortunately, well, it's probably since I'm, I'm still quite new to this, I haven't had relationships relationships that have soured uh, to the to the point where you're talking about uh, kind of a different point, but one worth mentioning slightly related to what you're talking about is be cautious on on who you do work for specifically friends and, and family mm -hmm. um, I guess that's the that's the closest thing I can relate to to what you're talking about um, that's always there's always a fine line there and, and if things do go south it it's kind of a mess. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of, of working with direct clients and having things sour, fortunately that hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm sure it will eventually, but for now I can't really relate to that. What do you, do you feel like you're doing anything to prevent that? Um, communicating is key. All my clients have a base camp project solely for them where they can uh, ping me at any time, any request, and then making sure I, I communicate on that in, in a reasonable fashion. Even if it's just saying, um, "Yeah, I'll, I'll 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 catch up with you on that later in the week, so we can talk more." But just letting them know that I read it and I'm aware of it, I think that's definitely important. Well, tell me more about the communication piece. I mean, this is something I stress in my in my company. Um, the, the people that work for me, I say err on the side of being high touch and what I mean is um, you know if you if you think you don't want to respond or you just want to wait till tomorrow it's probably better for you to just send some note to reply in some way to a client question even if it's to buy yourself some more time be high touch um, I mean is that really the thing that holds everything together for you or is there are there more components to it uh, well, obviously, the, the quality of your work and your track record kind of helps in that area, but I definitely think communicating with them and keeping them in the loop, letting them, especially when you're not in the same location as them, they you're on the other side of the country, um, them knowing that you're still there, because uh, in this industry, it's it's hard to isolate, it's, or I'm sorry, it's easy to isolate yourself and, and to easily dis um, disconnect yourself from, from people, so letting... Uh, especially your clients know that you're you're still here, you're listening, and, and whatnot, and and just being nice to people goes a long way. How are you choosing your clients? You you know at the very beginning of the of the talk, you said that um, we I joked about how quickly you learn that you need to select your clients. Well, what kind of criteria are you using other than to not work for friends and family? <laughs> uh, I want something. Uh, I'm looking for. So Cut Interactive kind of breaks down into three different parts. I have the, the clients that 
Um, I'm handling all the all the project management stuff and doing the design and, and carrying the project from start to finish. And, and with that type of project, I'm, I'm looking for something that spans the course of a few months that's sustainable and that gives me a chance to build on to build a relationship with the client uh, and keep that relationship obviously in good standing. Uh, so those type of projects are are kind of what Cotter Interactive as a company wants to focus on getting these these you know few month long projects with with nice budgets that gives us the ability to create something uh, really amazing for the client and and give the client a good impression and get them make them successful in, in whatever they're trying to do. The second part is is again lo- leveraging this this networking with people. Um, I have a list of uh, of subcontractors I go to for uh, for functionality that I need built. And the cool thing about that is because uh, I use them on products. Then in turn, uh, if say they're a developer and they need some front end work done, they'll come back to me and say, "Hey, can you help me out on this?" Because um, you know the relationship works two ways, which is really a nice thing. Uh, so the second part of that is is working with people who I send work to. And then vice versa. And then the third part is I'm really fortunate to uh, have uh, connections with with the company that uh, they're letting me do a lot of subcontracting work for them. Uh, getting to work with with their team is 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 amazing. And uh, working with them, I get to see how other people are running their business, and then learning from that and translating back to my own business. Is this some anonymous company you can't name? Uh, no, it's it's Engine Works. I'm I'm doing some some work with Engine Works, Carl Smith and oh, the guys okay. over there. So right. I'm I'm back working with Greg Aker, which which makes me happy. Yeah, Greg. <laughs> yeah, he's people. He's all right. Um, all right. So I was I was trying to get you to tell me how you how you choose your clients, and you you actually answered by saying uh, you know, there's three different ways that you that you um, have kind of have clients come in. I call them channels. Um, we over time we develop relationships with different types of firms who needed as a component of their services um, you know web development expertise web design work um, you know we did stuff for political campaigns for for instance and there are political campaign consulting firms um, in all major cities and um, they don't really have in-house uh, web development people they they're usually a little bit behind the times on where they were when I was working with them so we would kind of partner up with those companies and they were a channel they were a channel that were that were a lot of work all their clients became our clients um, we did stuff with different types of marketing firms um, so this channel idea is good and built into that is you're already satisfying some sort of client profile that you've defined in terms of you know what size budget you want to work with what type of work you want to do um, you know, what segment of the market you're going to serve. So that fits in pretty cleanly. Um, what about an incoming client do you look for that you would turn them away? I, I know budget is an issue, but what else, um, what other filters do you have in place to keep um, problem clients out, or do you? Uh, yeah, definitely I, I would check to see. If, if in their initial correspondence and, and how their mannerism is, if it sounds like they're going to be a huge headache, no matter what the budget is, I'd probably turn them down. Um, I would rather lose the work than have to deal with a long-term, uh, you know, few-month project where the the person is horrible to work with. 
Um, so in their initial communication, you know, we'll do some phone phone calls, uh, just seeing how, how they are in terms of their communication style and what their expectations are. That's definitely how, how I gauge uh, what kind of client the person is. What do you, be more specific. What are you looking for? What turns you off? Um, if, <laughs> especially, uh, I guess it'd be if, if they're, if they're really, um, if they're expecting, uh, like you mentioned budget, if they're expecting you to do this amazing thing on, on no budget, that's obviously a turn off. But if they're, if they don't sound, if they're not, re- if they don't come across as reasonable, I guess is a big thing. That's, that's a turn off for me. Yeah. Uh, if, if they're. If their expectations and their demands are unrealistic, or if they're they expect things to done at the the snap of their finger, that type of thing is a major turnoff. So budget and timeline, right? I mean, if if they have expectations about time that can't be that they just aren't human, you right. can spot that, right? Yeah, and, and you know, I'll, I'll suggest well, that's re, you know really a short period of time. We can do it in XXX, and, and based on their response to that, kind of gives me the idea of. If they're gonna be nagging me every day for the entire length of the project, if that's something I want to deal with. What if they come to you and they say, "Well, we were working with another developer and they just couldn't finish the job. We want you to finish the job. What do you do?" Uh, that's that's a good question. I I don't think I've had that happen to me yet. All right, but well, you watch my, out for that because that's when you run the other way. That's that's when I yeah I would run the other way for that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Let that be a tip. Um, <laughs> Those are rescue situations, and you're always going to eat shit on those. Um, yeah. That I've learned to run the other way, even though it's really tempting because you're like, oh, we could come in and fix this, and we could look awesome because the previous developer looked awful. The fact is there's two sides to every story, and I've learned that when I get a chance to talk to that developer, it's rare. When I get a chance to, they're totally reasonable people, and I'm like, dude, you got to be kidding me. This client was completely insane. I tried as hard as I could. They were never satisfied. No wonder they're coming to you. Yeah, I, I've 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 seen situations like that happen. It's never happened to me firsthand, um, so I, I definitely agree with with running the other way. Yeah, what um, we're talking about platform earlier, and you do you know you're pretty tied to Expression Engine, um, but you are doing other stuff. What other platforms are you working on? Uh, I I have Craft installed. I I need to sit down. I promised um, Brad I would I would sit down and play with it. Craft just hit one one point oh, yeah, which is is really cool. Yeah. I definitely, from seeing what they've done, it's it's something I I definitely want to use. Uh, I just need to go make time for it. Uh, but actually, I've been kind of not doing as much Expression Engine lately. I've been I really like design and front end, which is kind of what I've been focusing on lately. Um, I've been doing more more design and uh, a lot of front end development. And you know if they need EE integration, I will obviously still do that. But in terms of of other platforms, I'm, I'm working on projects that are like in Django and, and other languages and stuff. But I'm I'm mostly focusing on the front end and design because that's what I like. Do you ever uh, talk to someone who's interested in, in doing a site and say um, suggest Expression Engine as a CMS and they've never heard of it? Uh, surprisingly, more people have heard of Expression Engine than than I I would have initially thought. Um, but w- what happens most of the time is, is people suggest like WordPress, yeah, which annoys me. And and then I'll 
I'll tell them about Expression Engine. They they may have heard a thing or two about it, but um, the once LSLI brought back that that feature list of Expression Engine, I'll shoot that I, I shoot that URL to them. Say here's what this this and this can do for you. And for the most part, they're they're willing to to go along and, and give it a shot. But on my on my site under my services, it, it clearly says Expression Engine uh, people. Um, I would say expression engine experts or something. Uh, so people who find my site know for a fact that I already do expression engine. Um, so, which is, which is nice because a lot of the work that comes through there, they'll say, Oh yeah, we see you do expression engine. Can you, uh, I'm working on a project now where it's, it's taking an EE1 site and rebuilding it on EE2. So stuff like that. Yeah. So where, do you get, where are you going to take your company right now? You don't have, uh, you know, your sole proprietorship. You don't have any uh, employees. Um, you know, maybe this podcast is uh, is your rookie baseball card. What happens twenty years from now? Twenty years from now, uh, I hope to be running a design studio of some sort. Uh, I like keeping numbers small and intimate in terms of employees. Uh, how many people do you have working for you? Um, about, about twelve, I think. Yeah, like like a number uh, in, in the low teens, I think would be a really good number uh, in terms of of a business for for making uh, great products. Uh, I'm more focused on on the quality uh, of what I turn out versus the quantity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a small team focusing on on great interfaces and and, and giving the client you know a great backend to, to do whatever they need to do. That type of thing is is what I hope to to be in the next twenty years. So you're going to stay reasonably small. Um, you know what happens if you get recruited by a, a Facebook or a, a Google or something like that? Or are you in, interested in doing that sort of thing? It, it depends on what I'm offered. If that were to happen, um, I haven't ruled it out. If well, saying that even happens, uh, but I would. I'd have to seriously give it some thought. Uh, for me, working with with a small team of of dedicated, passionate people who who are her, whose sole purpose is to make great things, that's the kind of team I want to work with. That's the kind of team I want to lead. And whatever happens, happens. But I'm not going to think about that till it happens. Mm-hmm. So it's. Um it's mainly design and front end that, that interests you. When when Brad was on last week, he was telling me that um, I asked him which you know which thing in his business uh, he could not get rid of, and it was for him design. Design was the thing that really drove all the growth of his company. Uh, for him, design was the best marketing because um, people see your work right in front of their face. Yeah, the the sort of development work that my team does. It's all under the covers. It's all under the hood. Um, you know, it's either working or it's not, and um, you don't really care how the thing works. It either does or it doesn't. So we're we're hidden. It's really difficult for us to get attention and say, you know, look how great our code is because nobody can read it. Um, so for Brad, it was really important the design piece. Um, is that where you are too? Is that one of the reasons why you push it, or is that just something that you really love doing? I think I I love doing it for the reason you mentioned. Uh, I I can't I can't draw. That's that's one thing. So being able to express myself artistically through code uh, with a visual result is something that that I really like doing. 
now to the people who do back end programming and all this crazy logic, I I I admire your skill set, but I, that's just not what I enjoy doing. I like being able to see my result in an artistic form, uh, creating interfaces that people use and seeing how they use it and, and making sure that it's it's done in a way that brings them the easiest means of getting the content they're looking for. Uh, so the visual aspect has always been my focus and, and what I love doing. Where do you go for inspiration? Uh, I've spent countless numbers of hours just like looking at dribble and random people's shots and, and getting inspiration from there. Uh, the guys over at Focus Lab are, I, I love all the design work they do. Um, they're some really great, great designers over there. Uh, so just in, in that term, uh, in, in that context, context, looking on, on, on dribble for inspirational pieces, but, um, you know, taking cues from, from anything around you really, uh, in nature and all that sorts of stuff. Uh, you can find design cues all over the place. Um, are you going to uh, are you going to Pierce? I am not, unfortunately. Um, but you you went to the the DCers thing, right? Yes. Um, what's your next conference? Uh, I haven't decided yet. I was looking at EEC or Expression Engine conference in, in Portland. Haven't haven't pulled the trigger on that yet uh honestly i, I may look at doing a design focused con- conference yeah. versus another developer one yeah um another few good ones coming up i have a, a there's a dribble meetup um where dan cedarholm's actually coming down to speak at it uh so that should be fun that's the closest thing on my radar but in terms of bigger conference uh, I, I may hold off till till later next year and, and do something more design related do you have any interest in uh, developing your own web properties? Uh, it's it's crossed my mind. Um, I, I have a few ideas in, in that are sitting on the back burner, um, but it, it seems whenever I get one of these ideas that a bunch of client work comes in, <laughs> which kind of pushes that um, yeah. those back. But that'll, that'll happen I, in perpetuity. What's that? That'll happen to you in perpetuity. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. So, so definitely, there are things that I'd like to do. Uh, I'm actually working on on something right now with someone, kind of building on on our concept of of community and and having a list of of developers and designers that you can go to. It's it, it's this resource where uh, you you join and you're in this network of of other uh, small business freelancers who who you have their their skills are vetted. You can go in and say, "Okay, uh, I need a designer for this project. Here's a list of people who I can trust, who I can uh, ask and ask for help on this project, and see if they're interested, etc." Uh, so there are a few different things I'm working on that relate to my philosophy as a business, uh, which I think works out well. I keep waiting for someone on this this podcast series I'm doing to to tell me how to turn on the faucet and just make a bunch of work appear. Um, I mean, we you know we keep reasonably busy by word of mouth and have for years. But there are times when I want to exercise more control uh, over the slow periods. Uh, in our nature, the nature of our work, uh, it's inevitable that there are uh, it's feast and famine. Um, and I, I want to exercise some control over the famine cycles. Um, have you given any thought to that, or are you just busy enough to not not be bothered by that? 
Uh, that's definitely occurred to me when I when I made the transition in realizing I can't take all these small things. I need to focus on on what I'm I'm doing uh, in terms of the bigger projects. There was definitely a period of a famine where um, I had a few retainer projects in place, so I had the income from that, but I hadn't really found that big project I wanted to work on yet. Uh, so there was some, but it's it's different for me because I'm still living at home and I don't have the same expenses as you know everybody else. Um, so it didn't hit me as hard, but I definitely thought about it. Uh, and it always seems when I do get one project that that's just sustainable for me, I then get like three other inquiries on, on similar size projects and it's impossible to take all of them on. Yeah. Um, so if those were to come during the famine periods, that would be ideal, but it never seems to work that way. Yeah, it doesn't happen that way. I'm not getting a good answer to my question, so don't feel bad. Nobody knows. Nobody seems to know. Um, one thing that I am hearing, though, is something you mentioned, which, you know, you had some, some clients on retainer. Um, I hear talk of residual income. Brad's big on this. He gets a client, and he um, his company turns into, as he says, his company is the crack that that client needs to keep their web presence running and making them money and so forth. Um, have you given much thought to the notion of residual income and retainers and how to... Uh, maintain a client and provide them value and continue to, uh, you know, have income from that client engagement? Uh, yeah, a lot of the projects I have now are actually um, resulted uh, in retainer contracts after the fact. Um, I was doing work for, for a company and uh, I did everything they needed, but they continually had other questions and, and um, the nature of their business was a good fit for a retainer. Um, because of the constant updates and, and changes they, they wanted done. Uh, and actually, something interesting, one of the retainers I had, uh, I had I had worked with them for a couple months, and, and their site hadn't been uh, updated in, in a major fact since the, their original... Um, since their original site. So I had been doing this retainer, you know, making small squeaks here and here to what they wanted to do, but it's actually turning now to a complete redesign and an overhaul of, a, of their properties, which as a result of me having that retainer and getting to know them prior to the fact, they were more inclined to go with me for this bigger redesign. And then once I finish this, they'll still, we'll go back to a retainer agreement after the fact, just to uh, keep me on it in case they have any more questions or changes they want to make. So um, I, I definitely am a fan of, of retainers and, and this this flow of income that comes in. So how do you set yours up? I mean, how, how are they structured from a business point of view? Uh, the client gets a set number of hours uh, for a set fee. They're guaranteed those number of hours per month. Uh, they're going to pay that fee whether or not they use the entire uh, set of hours or not. The hours don't roll over to the next month. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, we estimate appropriately uh, so that the number that we come up with uh, reflects the actual work that we're doing through the month. Um, and and it's worked out where you know the clients are happy with, with getting the guaranteed support and we're happy with getting the guaranteed check. And if they exceed the retainer, then they just pay the extra? Yeah, if they, if they exceed the retainer, the, the, the agreement has a, there's like an overage fee per hour and yeah. whatnot. So yeah, that's all covered. Are you discounting the base rate on the retainer? Is it like an, an incentive yeah. that they... Yeah, the uh, the base fee that they pay is a discounted of my hourly rate, um, and then if they exceed that, the rate jumps up to my normal hourly rate. Like what percent is the discount? Uh, 
just the math. I don't know, just it, roughly 10, 20, 30%. Yeah, I think it's like 20%. 20%, okay. Um, so I brought this up with Brad and he was, he probably could have reached through the Skype and grabbed me by the neck. He does not <laughs> do, we never do retainers, no retainers, no retainers. It was really big for him and I didn't press him, I forgot to press him on why it was such a big deal. He says, instead we make sure we provide services that are valuable, that are needed every single month and we just know that the client's going to need us and we, you know, in our books we anticipate that they're going to call on us uh, and continue to need need help um, and I think he makes himself like really available like they they continue to touch the client as needed um, do you have anybody who objects to the notion of a retainer do you have any conflicts with that uh, not every project I work on results in a retainer after the fact uh, the projects that where, where they'll come back to me with the question here or there how do you do this or can you do this and this uh, I, I pitch it to them I say, you're paying X per hour for my time right now, and, and you've come to me X number of times in the past you know month or so. Uh, if you'd like, we can work out an agreement where I guarantee you X number of hours for a certain fee, if that be of interest to you. And, and for the most part, they've, they've been open to that um, if they see themselves doing a lot of updates where they need to come back to me. Yeah. Where did you... Uh, you know, where did you learn about this sort of stuff? There's there's some things that you're doing in your business that are uh, uh, it, you know, it takes a number of us a few years to figure out. Uh, where are you looking to for inspiration and guidance? Uh, again, going back to this networking thing, uh, the people I've met have been good at what they do. Uh, my teacher, for example, had run his own business while he was he was teaching. Uh, high school, so I, I used him for definitely some some business uh, inspiration and direction. Uh, but one of my uh, one of the developers who I go to a lot, who we we swap work back and forth, is Jeremy Gimble, um, dreadfully posh. Uh, he he send he 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 has his own business on top of his day job, uh, and he he's given me a lot of good uh, advice in in how to, especially in terms of, of contracts and agreements. He's been really really critical to helping me get that set up right. So uh, back to knowing people and, and getting people to help you out, That's that's been something that's worked out well for me. Do you have a lawyer and an accountant? I do have an accountant, and I know of some lawyers, uh, but I haven't had to use any of them yet. But I've, I do have an accountant. Um, by the time I finally developed a relationship with a lawyer, I promised myself after I had done that, that I would tell anyone who asked or I had the opportunity to to, to do that proactively, um, not so that you can hedge against you know legal action and just know how not to break stuff, but actually, relationship with a good attorney it can empower you, uh, it actually can liberate you with, um, with how you run your business and how you talk to clients and how you think about things, how you use uh, trademark and copyright and so forth. Um, it can actually free you up to move around more, um, more easily, more readily. Um, so, I, you know, it's, I think it's something to think about. Um, you don't have to yeah. have someone on retainer, but you could have someone you take to lunch and pay, uh, you know, once, every, once a quarter or something. Right. And, and going back to the, the thing about the lawyer, uh, for me, my, my short-term goal is by January to become either an S-Corp or LLC, depending on what my accountant says is best. Uh, and, and, once that happens, I, I'll definitely consider um, legal means as something that I, I should probably get 
uh, on board with and have somebody I can go to for stuff like that. Uh, like I said, this this kind of past year has been me just testing the waters and seeing if it's something I think can be sustainable. And it turns out it's it's going. It looks like it's going to be sustainable. So uh, with the start of next year, I want to start my my fiscal year in January, um, get everything all set up and, and certified, and, and start and going full throttle then. How um, how long have you been what you could consider a business person? In other words, um, well, let me put it this way. I, I, I asked Greg Farrell before I came on Skype with you. I said, I'm, I'm going to talk to Kyle in a minute. What do you want me to ask him? And he said, I want you to ask him um, you know, what it is about him that makes working more interesting than doing what other high school kids his age were doing. Um, you know, What's going on there? Why Why were you working on the web instead of um, racing around in a car, or playing video games, or doing whatever in high school? Uh, I always... I always thought of myself as uh, as kind of mature for my age. Don't know if that came off as, as snobbish. Hope not. Um, but I, I always thought a couple steps ahead. Um, and as a result of that, in in thinking about my fe- well, having found the web industry and taking a few classes in middle school it, it piqued my in my curiosity and and i stuck with it i found something i liked early which talking to to my friends who are in college at, at that point in high school they had no clue what they wanted to do yeah for me i found something that i liked and i was I, i've always been kind of uh, that entrepreneurial type go out and go get them do external learning and and if I put my mind to something, I'll get it done. So having having the found something that I like and and saying, hey, I can make something sustainable out of this while still in, in high school, and I came to that to that notion uh, versus the other high schoolers who are like, I'm just here to 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 get my grades and, and to go on to college, and then I'll figure out what I want to do. Uh, for me, college was never really a big thing because I had already figured out what I wanted to do, and the nature of this industry was that I didn't need a piece of paper to to get a well-paying job uh, if the skills that I had and what I had to show off was was good enough mm-hmm. then I would be fine well um, you're talking to a guy who's 40 and uh, I you know I know that I sit down in meetings with clients uh, and before me they met with someone half my age or uh, you know someone in their uh, late 20s and this is the internet and young is king um, what happens when you're 40 or 50 uh, are you willing to look ahead that far and imagine yourself at that point will you have run a company for so long that you have so much business acumen that any other education or degree won't matter or uh, would it potentially be an issue would you be competing against someone who has a PhD in computer science for example and and lose out on a job or a gig or whatever because of that. Uh, that's it's not something that I, I'm concerned with. Um, it, it's just having done what I've done so far. That that's having issue. Uh, who knows? Maybe I will have issue in the future. But uh, if the team that I have is to the point where I want it down the line, that's not gonna. I don't think that'll be uh, an issue because we'll have a track record. We'll have established this this 
who we are and, and the type of quality work that we do and clients will still come to us. And I don't think, honestly, the education thing in, in this particular industry has never really phased me as, as something critical. Yeah, I guess it's because it's the rate everything changes so fast. Yeah, you're right. Um, it doesn't matter that much. It's true. If, if I were to say 10 years from now, I, I have this business and it's gotten to the point now where, where I'm, I'm at a new level of, of the business and I'm really, you know, my, my self-taught figuring out things on my own is the extent of it. I would consider going back and, and taking a few business classes mm-hmm. uh, or extending on, on the business side of things. But in terms of computer science and, and the actual uh, education specific to what I do, I don't think that's, that's as important uh, versus the business side. I, I definitely consider going back for like business classes or yeah. something in, in that nature. Well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do this podcast and, get on your case about school. I've already done that. We're, we're done with that topic. <laughs> um, well, thanks for making time to talk to me, Kyle. I think you have a lot of really good insights. And um, I think that the, the validity of the things that you said in this podcast, everything that came out was like, of course, I mean, duh, of course you network. Of course you do it that way. Of course you set up retainers. Of course you so-and-so. So it didn't feel like anything fresh and new. But on the other hand, that's why it's that's why what you know is, is, is valid and true because you, at 18, have plugged into a lot of things that take us a long time to learn. So I just want to thank you for your insight and taking time to talk to me. Um, and I, I wish you luck. Let me know if I can ever help you with in any way, shape, or form. Uh, thank you, Mitchell. It's, it's been a great pleasure ch- uh, chatting with you. All right. All right. Thank you, Kyle. Bye. Thank you. Have a good day.